Good morning, Mr. Finley. Hey, Mr. Finley, how are you, sir? Oh, Jesus, hold on. Let me let me adjust the levels here. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Bringing enthusiasm to it. Uh, just, Why would I do this? Uh, just screaming into the computer, old man. Uh, you brought us a delightful subject this week, and that is uh, Broderick Crawford. Yeah, absolutely. What's, oh, my God. One that you actually like. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we can talk about that. Do you want to pause and you want to go down that road, or should we go down uh, Broderick Crawford? What's your choice, sir? What is your choice? Let's go down Broderick Crawford. I'm gonna point out Joe's threateningly, uh, like waving a hammer at me over our Zoom meeting. Yep, always a good move. Tell the audience what's happening visually. (laughs) Uh, Broderick Crawford is, uh, what's your take on him? Let's start with you, Broderick Crawford. Uh, He's the uh, um, you're called the dramatic Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> he's, uh, he's the uh, he's the um, yeah he's like the he's the, the leading act is the, the guy who got a leading actor role and it just and he was just the right place at the right time. Is that a Great fact? actor too? He's good. I mean, like it's a good a, a hell of an actor. Yeah. But like with this particularly with this first movie we're going to be talking about, it was like the, he just this was the this was the role and uh, it really sort of you know splashed him all over the screen and made him a star. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of interesting. You could draw a small parallel between Broderick Crawford getting that role and the the role itself, the the Huey sure. Long type uh, character in a way, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about Broderick Crawford's past, like uh, leading up to this this film. To me, it's a film. Go ahead. I did a little. I mean, I, honestly, I had the same experience as you. I looked and I, and I looked it up, and you know what? Not a hell of a lot of pants. Like he was born in Pennsylvania, like in Philadelphia, like back in 1911, and that's the most interesting. That's the most interesting fact out of it. But well, that would uh, make it really it. wasn't until he got this role that he became like you know, be, became sort of notable, and then went on to become a like a crazy alcoholic television star. <laughs> that would make him 37 when they were filming this. Which is another sort of <laughs> remarkable yeah. thing about. I mean, you and I are um, in. We're both hovering on one side or the other of fifty. So there is that propensity to like um, it suddenly. Somebody told me that someone was sixty-three and in memory to the day. This old dude, this old fucker, and I was like, that guy couldn't have been sixty-three at that time. It's like that's impossible because that's like thirteen years older than I am now. So there's that, but also these classic movies have this way of pointing out like how people just. Died uh, gloriously and ruggedly in the old days. That Broderick Crawford was um, 37 and 38 when they were doing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he was drinking was legendary. <laughs> like, like, he went on, like I said, he went on to television and uh, he started in a, in a long run. He'd see like a like a like a, like a, a famous TV show uh, was called uh, Highway Patrol. But the truth is, is like he kept. He, the, the, the best arrest relative to the Highway Patrol was how much alcohol he took and went drinking and driving and kept getting pulled over by yeah. the Highway Patrol in California. Yeah. Ah, fucking. Like they, like they nicknamed him 520 or something like that, which was the name of, uh, which is you know, the code for for uh, drinking and driving. Which, which, by the way, in the old law, the code was drink, getting pulled over, drinking and driving, and then sent home with a stern warning. I think that was the old, uh, I think our grandfather <laughs> yeah. got a few of those, right? The cops sort of taking them home, the old, to old uh, uh, you know. Well, sometimes, they, sometimes they take the ice out of your drink. Uh, <laughs> yeah, something, man. Um, 
Okay, so Broderick. So, so to me, the the way I always thought about this film was not through Broderick Crawford, really. Although it a hundred percent, it's it's he steals yeah. this film and he's magnificent in it. Um, yeah. I think of it as one of two books that written by poets that um, it was the only book they wrote. So the other one's uh, James Dickey's Deliverance. Uh, and this one is Robert Penn Warren's All the King's Men. And um, there's something about both of those, actually, that speak, and this one particularly, a, a fantastic story about corruption. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, this thing is all about Huey Long. I mean, it, it, there's no escaping that fact. And yeah. it, it, it kind of underscores what was sort of great and what was sort of terrifying about Huey Long as a person and as a politician as well. Which was? I mean, he, well, he got a lot of good things done for the state of Louisiana, but at the same time, he was pretty much aimed towards fascism. And he, had he not been assassinated, there's no telling where he would have ended up politically in the United States. Yeah. I mean, FDR was legitimately afraid that this guy was like the most dangerous man in politics. FDR. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's interesting about that is um, whether you're FDR or you're Huey Long or the Broderick Crawford character um, in All the King's Men. Um, it, it's an interesting sort of um, timestamp on the late uh, in the '40s and 1950s to to see that tyranny, or um, I guess, well, it all took the form of some sort of progressivism. In other yes. words, it was like who can be most tyrannical or saintly in terms of making sure that everyone had medical care and that there was some sort of redistribution of the wealth. And we just talked about things at that time period, the mid-century, with a, a fairly narrow scope of disagreement. I mean, I guess major, the, most of the disagreement went to, like, uh, race relations, I guess, uh, you know? It's, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's sort of like I was, I was listening to something um, about, about the, the changing of the Mississippi flag recently, and it's like a 19-year-old conversation and it's startling to hear Mississippi lawmakers like, if you mess with that flag, it's like messing with my wife. And, you know, I mean, that's that's a quote, by the way. Um, really? But on. but if you go back to like the, the 40s and 50s, it's like you have um, uh, lawmakers who hate black people. And then you have good people who see, who understand how, what a mental illness that is. But they all agree that everyone should get uh, health care. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's startling well, about well, this movie. You know, the thing about that is, you look at Huey Long, and then you know who Broderick Crawford is portraying yeah. in this movie. Um, and, and the parallels are, are interesting and shocking, and, and like interesting, and then like the the the, the, uh, the differences are shocking uh, relative to what we have right now. Because what we have is a populist president at the moment, right? Yeah. But at the same time, like he's he's a populist president whose people, you know, the people he's popular with. Don't have, don't seem to have an adequate sense of their own like self-preservation. <laughs> like they're mad yeah. because of they're mad because of healthcare. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. They just it is not. They're not. I don't know. It's not. There's not as much sort of a benign like a self-interest going on there, which doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm not talking about like a mean self-interest. I'm talking about like an actually a good one. But I, 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 I know you're making a pretty valid point about about the rise of the Huey Long character. But the, mm-hmm. the the sustaining of the Huey Long character is very much like the sustaining of the Donald Trump character because by the end of All the King's Men, mm-hmm. they they also lack the self interest. 
Yeah. The, yeah. No. Yeah. Truth. Truth. Truth to that for sure. Yeah. I, and in a weird way, I mean, I mean, there's no question that that Huey Long or or, or Broderick Crawford and all the Kingsmen more parallels Donald Trump, but in a weird way, it also parallels. Um, the identity politics of the left in a strange way too, because it's like this attachment to who you are as opposed to what's actually happening. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, that's the brilliance of this film is it's not just sort of a, a movable feast to like a, a particular person or situation that's happening. It's, it's like it, it applies to the lack of sort of discipline and integrity that, that we can all have. It's, it's a, I mean, it has that universality to it, I would say. Yeah, and it has that same sense, like, you know, like a play like Inherit the Wind sort of had. Like like Inherit the Wind was simultaneously about a particular thing and sort of just about a general thing at the same time. Okay, and I wonder if that just comes along with it being like derived out of a play more than a TV. Like, a, like I think plays play with that kind of, plays play, huh? uh, with that kind of uh, ambiguity a little bit more than movies do as a rule. So, so typically you see this in, in movies that are adapted out of plays. Yeah, although, or is that just a broad thing that came popped into my no, head that I, I needed to shout out? I no, don't, I don't think you're wrong about it. I do think that um, it, it made me think that this is the least play-like movie I've seen. So many movies, it's just like, oh, you can see where that was a play, and it's oh, like yeah. you can see where this was a book, but it it, did, mm-hmm. it doesn't sort of contain itself the way a lot of uh, movies that are adaptations of plays do. Well, I was I actually did a little bit of reading on this. Uh, apparently, the um, the director filmed so much footage on this thing they literally couldn't figure out where the hell to edit it. Oh, that's Almost. cool! Like there was so much, like it was like two hundred and fifty minutes long or something like that. Yeah, that's and they great. Went in and they they edited it because they couldn't quite figure out how to edit. It. They almost did it in a more or less arbitrary way. They, they like picked like the most important scene and then drop a half and then drop thirty foot of the film on either side of it. Send down kind of thirty together. feet of film. <laughs> There you go. Thank you. Wow. Um, uh, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. That returns. I mean, that's our conversation that happens like every 40 episodes about the importance of editors, that the editors are the real directors, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. In for a way. Sure. No, no. Uh, Unless it's Hitchcock, in which case it's all the same. Of course. That's true. Did you, by the way, before I forget, I, I, this isn't any sort of linear fashion. I'm saying this. The newspaper editor at the beginning, the editor of the newspaper did you catch who that was? No. I remember Dark Passage. I could make yeah. it fa- make it. F- I could do a real botch job. Make it look like a monkey. <laughs> really? It's okay. The, the doctor from uh, from Dark Passage. I love that guy. Yeah. Actually. Who doesn't love that guy? You know who else I love, and I got to be honest, in this movie, in, in this movie, and in general, is uh, uh, Crixus, old John Ireland. Always good to see him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't see enough of him. That's for sure. Um, and then there's John Derrick, who um, he did. Again, yeah, he did. Go. He did two things in his life that that are worthwhile. The first mm-hmm. is the same year that this came out, he made a, a one of my favorite sort of secretive Bogart films, "Knock on Any Door," with a soundtrack by Dooley Wilson from Casablanca. Shut up. A young uh, John Derrick, um, and also I want to say the same doctor who was going to make your face into a monkey was in that one mm-hmm. too. Um, and then, of course, John Derrick bought a, brought us Bo Derrick. Get off. Really? Okay. Oh, that's you didn't know that? That was his, that's, that's his wife, was Bo Derrick. No shit. I didn't, his wife or his daughter? His wife. And he directed her in uh, Bolero, if you remember that post-10 masterpiece. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy shit. Bo Derrick rides oh around on a, naked on a horse. That's- 
She, Ooh, that's, she well, plays that's, Guinevere. That's interesting. That's horrifying. <laughs> Is it Guinevere who was naked on the horse? Guinevere, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's that story. It was set to the, the, the Bolero music. She just bounces yeah, her titties absolutely. around on the horse. The, the, the best thing about that, uh, oh, my God. Best thing about that movie was still Brian Dennehy. And she, yeah. The no, Broderick Crawford of 1980. Wait, you're talking about 10. 10. Yes, you're right, I am. No, Sorry. no, I'm talking about the movie Bolero that followed 10. And and it was Bo oh, Derek. I never saw that. Bo no. Derek Guinevere naked on a horse. Oh, lucky horse. And then 1982, really she was uh, Tarzan the Ape Woman. But I, I digress. I just, want, <laughs> I just wanted to talk about <laughs> the beauty of... I did not know the pedigree of Bo Derek like you did. Of John Derek, who plays, of course, uh, the son, the kind of spoiled son who becomes later on the moral center of the movie. Or the moral right. compass, maybe we should say. Huh. Yeah, so this is what I mean. It's a classic film about corruption. I mean, it's basically I, I mean in Shakespearean proportions. It's you know just just set in the yeah. in Mississippi or wherever it's set. This fictitious fictitious town. Yeah, like, and like any good movie based on a uh, on a play, or I should say a book in this case, like you said, uh, it's not really um, it's not subtle about it by any stretch. But but it makes it clear that 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 like the character Willie Stark started off being more or less an innocent and you really sort of watch his fall, his breaking bad as fall. Yeah. Uh, as the movie progresses and, 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 and he falls quick when he falls, he falls very hard. I just want to know what dopes we are because I started this episode saying I, and I, I always relate to this to the book by Robert Penn Warren. You somehow yes. implied that it was um, based on a play. Then Ooh. I answered you by saying, you know, of all the movies based on a play, this is the least play-like. <laughs> we are real <laughs> dummies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody listened to us. <laughs> like, <laughs> our lack of listenership is in no way surprising. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> so we're talking about Bo Derek in All the King's Men. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, Bo Crawford. Yes, oh, Bo Hawkins. So, so um, Broderick Crawford is. Um, I mean, he's 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 the Can guy. I kill him he, now. He's the guy. <laughs> he's the guy you want to be a political success, right? Because he's going to stand up to the man. Um, yeah. He's going to do what's right. He understands. He understands always. He's the Bernie Sanders of his time in a way. He always understands that he's not going to win. He's not going to be allowed to win, but he's going to get the message out there, and that's really important. And at some point, um, you know, he's going to get a law degree, and he's living in a chicken shack with his wife, who used to be his teacher. Hello, uh, that woman who recently died of cancer, who molested the fourteen-year-old Filipino boy. Mm, I forget your name, uh, but um, hero. there's an yeah that hero. There's an event that. that that happens and there's always some sort of turning event in, in act one and the event is that he has made a big deal out of the local schoolhouse being a, 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 um, a crony a job to the local uh, brick factory or something and all these children die amid the a crony rubble. job does sound like something that costs 45.95 from a hooker by the way. <laughs> uh, so so he gets swept into politics but but they're still going to use him as a as a kind of um, Ralph Nader uh, character a spoiler right literally just literally to split whatever you know the other the, the other side of the ticket. And sure. I got to tell you, I um, this is the first really, really potentially awful turn in the movie, which is like he gets he gets drunk one night because he's a non-drinker. When he finds out that he's being used like this, the next day he has to give a speech. And when and when the reporter gives him the hair of the dog, he's up there giving a drunken speech. The rubes and hicks can relate to. And you know what? I love it. It was one of the best, maybe the best political speech ever captured on a movie. It's fantastic. On a movie that's based on a book that wasn't a play. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> in Act Two of the play, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the the film it has all these possibilities, the story, all these possibilities of of turning away and sort of like eye rolling disgust. But I I think at every turn, this movie is. I forget how fantastic this movie is until I watch it yeah. each and every time. I think it's grounded in like in like three sort of very key uh, excellent performances. Broderick Crawford, number one, of course. Mm-hmm. John Ireland, and then with Joanna Drew, the uh, sort of the assistant. That's not Joanna Drew. I thought that her name was Mercedes. Um... Oh no, you're right. I'm thinking of the wrong thing. Yeah, Mercedes McCambridge. McCambridge. Yeah. Do you have? Do you have uh, I'm guessing you have IMDb open because she won the best supporting actress for this, which I'm fine with. And then she was. Oh, she was also nominated for Giant, as I recall. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, one of two great Mercedes to win uh, um, Best Supporting uh, Actresses, and that was the other Mercedes, Mercedes Rule in The Fisher King. Okay, great. Mercedes. Well, please. It's not just a car. Okay. It's a Best Supporting Actress. <laughs> well, wow, your mind has cornered a very specific area. <laughs> Tom, are you tired of actresses <laughs> named Mercedes? Um, this woman is a Mercedes Benz of Mercedes. Meh, meh. Yeah, so, uh, and then then what we get to see is we just get to see him, after he gets successful, become corrupt as fuck. And, yeah, and also yeah. to see to see um, John uh, Ireland um, sort of wrestle with his corruption, too, because he's forced to bring in, he, he's connected to a, a wealthy family elsewhere in the state, and he's been trying to escape the trappings of his wealth by being like a hobo news reporter, etc. Right. And so he's he's forced, once, once Broderick Crawford likes him, and and starts to give him a little bit of the old um, you know moolah et cetera and power. He's forced to try to to bring those people into it, except for yeah. one person who goes so willingly kind of with her legs their open. Legs as well, yeah, and that's his whore girlfriend. Which, by the way, yes. that's one aspect of of I I really do not quite understand the perception that modern that popular culture gave us that you could have a girlfriend that you just see every eight years or something. I mean, like I'm all for courting, but I don't really understand how these things are supposed to work. She was, I don't even know how she was his girlfriend, frankly, to, to betray him. Right, right, right. Well, I guess she was at the, yeah, right. No, yeah. He hadn't seen her in years. (laughs) The beginning, even at the beginning of the movie, he was completely disconnected from her. I guess. Yeah. She was his sweetheart. Uh, But then she decided she wanted to, you know, a sweet piece of that Huey Longmeat. <laughs> Sleep with Roderick Crawford. Hold on. She wanted all the king's dong. <laughs> yes. All of it. Oh, it's all the king's women. Okay. Oh. Um, You're welcome. Uh, also, but, but it's a great sort of split because his his stepfather is, I'm talking about the news report, the John Island stepfather, is a cynic kind of from the right. And his hero, his mentor, is um, a, a judge from the left, a progressive judge. And, and you get to see the sort of reversal of fortunes and everyone in the film. You know, it's, it's a great sort of like naturalist film in a way um, because it's, it's just, you know, we, we just um, parallel nature's, you know, vicious cycle and how much really it's, it's not about who you are, but just the, the, the events that come into play and for, move you around. I mean, in some ways, it takes the moral onus off the thing because it's so naturalist, this film and book, that in a way, yeah. there's really no question about free will. So there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing to, to be mad at, at Broderick Crawford's character for. He's just well, a clock. Well, like the, the unspoken and more or less implied, particularly, as you say, with the parallel with the judge and all like that, is that ultimately everybody, anybody who, who uh, aspires to, that, to any kind of power like that, 
and who achieves it is ultimately going to be corrupted by it. That, that seems to be kind of the implied. Uh, I, I would go a I step mean, further. Crawford represents an extreme case in this movie. Yeah. Of that because it's mostly just straight hubris more than anything else. He didn't give a shit about it. It's like, it's like he almost says it. He didn't care about money, but it's just all about the hubris and the power that he's able to feel. I'm going to go a step further, although I suspect your case is much better than mine. I'm going to say it's it's not even that. Yeah, probably. It, it's that we we don't really have any morality at all. The thing seems to be saying. It's not even that there like that that power corrupts or that or that there is corruption. It's that just it's that there's a world and it just moves us. Because because the char- there are characters who have enough sympathy left for them not to really be bad, and yet they've gone through the whole thing. The, uh, John Ireland might be worse than Broderick Crawford in a way. Right. Because supposedly, right. supposedly, we're fo- we human beings would be fooled into thinking someone like he uh, um, is this moral anchor somehow. Right. And it's it's same all- thing. The same thing with that judge almost. Like they almost yep. imply that that judge is almost the worst uh, worst criminal. Although I think the one I think the girlfriend is the worst. <laughs> but the end of the movie is the biggest villain of the whole movie. But uh, to us, yeah, because of our just, fucking insecurities yeah, as men. Well, no, I mean I don't know. And and you know the brother. You know he ends up committing murder. You know A two right. Adam or whatever the fuck his name was. What's interesting is the the only person um, the wife you could say the original wife. Um, you could say had a moral center all along, but she's ineffective. I, I would yeah. say the only one that ends up with a, a, a certain morality is John um, Derrick, right? Right. And and the only reason he is is because he's shot like a cannon out of the front window of his car after a drunk driving accident. Right, right, right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, look, no, absolutely. I think I, I'm probably wrong, and you're more right. And, of course, no. that is natural. But I will s- Just in general, yeah. Yes, but I will say this. <laughs> it, this is how great the film is. It, it's entertaining and also makes you, without having to sort of stretch and become an intellectual in the moment, just think about all these amazing issues. It, I mean, it's a really interesting story. And it, also, it, it does that, too, but it also kind of gets you... It, it, I don't know what kind of a monster would watch this and not get a little bit of a charge sort of emotionally Utterly. watching this, like a little bit of anger or you know, here and there throughout the movie. Like at, at the system. Yeah, like just at the system. And the, yeah, just at the, the you, behaviors. Like, yeah, it's easy to get fucking mad at well, some of this is stuff that why before we, It's kind of cool. Is that why before I pressed the record button, you were going on and on about the so-called plandemic, I think you called it, and how this was yeah. all... <laughs> That's well, yeah, I don't know that I can true. agree with you 100 percent, Tom. But yeah, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't. I don't want to talk to you through a Zoom anymore, Joe. It's going to be face to face, just because <laughs> that's my political stance. And we need to l- <laughs> <laughs> we need to tap out our messages with our tongues. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's Mr. A- and Mr. America, Mr. and Mrs. America, and all the ships at sea. <laughs> I don't know why that seemed like it should have been said. <laughs> Tokyo Bozo. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess what we're saying is Broderick Crawford is a great in this. The, the supporting yeah. players are great. The story is, um, I, by the way, I have read the book and, and yes, like any movie, it, it, it's not quote unquote true to the book, but it's true to the spirit of the book, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's an important film to come out in 1949 as, as we had a uh, post world war two into a society, which is on the surface, very calm, but beneath uh, so toxic, I guess I would say the 1950s. All right. Yes. I would say that as well. Toxic, toxic decade. You know, I always say that, Tom. 
Uh, yes, you did. You, were, you, you almost never stopped, really. Happy days, Busy my guy. ass. All right. You got, you got a little bit of sleep last night, but I stopped and seeing it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, can we move on to our second film? I think we can. Let's move on. I'm going to preface uh, the second film by saying this. You are, not- you are not wrong by picking it. I want to start there, actually. You are not wrong by picking this. I remember that your dad had one, you know, in keeping, in keeping with Finley number one, and what he taught us was what, a VHS tape on the six-hour mode dedicated to an actor, usually within a time period, three films. He had one Broderick Crawford VHS tape, and as I recall, it only ever had two movies on it. He could never find the third one. Yeah. So the first one was All the King's Men, and the second one was the one we're going to do. Now, you're not wrong in choosing it. You're in keeping with like the, the cultural. But, but I don't think it's really his film. No, it I, really I would isn't. say the first it's, act. It's absolutely one person's film, and it's not Roderick Cochran. The first act, you might, you could argue that it's as much his film as hers, maybe in the first act. Yeah, but then he sort of fades off. back. Um, this film, of course, is 1950s. Um, Born yesterday. Yeah. Now this was redone as as was all the King's Men. By the way, I guess people love right. to redo his movies. I never saw the All the King's Men remake. I mm-hmm. have seen the Born Yesterday remake with Melanie Born Griffith. Married, so okay, how'd it go? Uh, I saw it on my own. Uh, Melanie Griffith, mm-hmm. Don Johnson, and John Goodman. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not good. But I'm going to start here and say that it's not as good as, as 1950s Born Yesterday. I don't think 1950s Born Yesterday is, is very good either. Really? I, I don't. Okay. I don't, okay. Tommy. I don't. It, it has interesting performances. And I would say that actually the strongest performance is Broderick Crawford's, in really? my opinion. Yeah, I do. The most consistently good and what it is performance. Um, let's just outline it. First of all, he's the, um, the, the kid who was a junk man who learned how to be a junk man gangsta. And so he's right. come to Washington, D.C. with $50 million and his bimbo fiance, a Miss Judy Holiday, which is really confusing because his character's name is Billy. So in my mind, I kept saying Billy Holiday. <laughs> um, right. Judy Holiday, in her first starring role, I believe she got the Oscar for this uh, role. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, uh, and then William Holden, um, sort of co-starring with her. He had he had already done uh, he'd done three at least three films in 1950. He had already done Sunset Boulevard. He'd already done Union Station. Those two mm-hmm. are much stronger films than this. Even Union Station, in my oh, opinion. He's like he's almost a shadow in this movie. Honestly, he's he's very he's he's got a he's got a big speaking part, but he's so overshadowed by the the other two main actors in this movie. Yeah, and and I think he's he has a bigger part than Broderick Crawford, but but yeah, his 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 part has no meat to it because he's simply a stereotype of like oh the egghead who will teach the fill in the blank in this case is yeah. the ditzy blonde but it could well have been like a person of color you know i'm gonna teach you oh silly black person slash blonde whoever it is no that's not what thomas jefferson meant <laughs> um but but yeah, Robert Crawford anyway gets uh, uh takes over for a couple of months apparently he's gonna be in washington dc he brings 50 million bucks rents the wing of the weston or the hilton or whatever um uh, I'd like to think the Watergate, but yeah. Oh, that would be sweet, actually. We should go back and look. It might actually be the Watergate. Well, I did tell you this. That at one point, uh, Billy, uh, uh-huh. yeah, Miss Holiday, Judy and, Holiday, uh, and yeah. what's her name, go to a concert. It is at the Water. Uh, it's at the Watergate Pavilion or something. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> um, so it's a place name. That's right. 
So, um, but it's obvious that he's going to be in town to um, essentially graft and, and, and bribe local senators who can be bribed. I, I don't even remember what it was. It can't be for a junk bill. They never say. <laughs> okay. They never really say what the hell he's doing. Okay, and it he doesn't. He wants to buy steel and junk. It nah. doesn't matter. Now he's he's an ignoramus, but he's uh, he's an he's enough of he's enough of a success to uh, to understand some things and to think of himself as her better because she is a real dope. She, she just, yeah, she is. Yeah, and that's and, and and where William Holden comes in is William Holden is a newspaper reporter who's coming to ask him a few questions, kind of disregards him, and Broderick Crawford's character likes that about him, and then decides mm-hmm. this egghead, I'll hire him to hang around my fiance and make her a little smarter. Which, which of course, is the beginning of the end of the actual plot, if you really think about. It. I gotta be honest. First of all, I like this movie, but that makes no sense at all. Why the hell would you hire a, a reporter? To to uh, I mean, aren't there people who actually do that professionally? Uh, like think... a finishing school for your girlfriend or something. That's basically what yeah. he's doing. And why the fuck would you get a reporter to do that? Well, that's the movies. The, the, the classic movies are like that in general. I like this guy. I like the cut of your jib. And yeah, it's like, I know, that's enough, but, it's, I guess. but it just seems weirdly. But it's, for some reason, <laughs> this one kind of always stuck out to me. Like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, well, this, uh, to me, that's that's where the first third of the movie is really fun and really great, and and the the, the second, you know, and third acts just sort of fall apart for me. As I think you're right, after he hires her, because one thing is she's a real dope, and she has, I mean, Judy Holiday is brilliant. I want to say this, um, I love her in her her supporting role in Adam's Rib. I think we should do an episode on her. I'm glad this won't be part of an episode on her because I I think there are much better films that represent the great stuff that she that it can happen to you. Really? Okay. Uh, I mean, there's a few movies where she's just fucking brilliant as a comedian, and there's a whole interesting story that I think you, particularly as a comedian, would would appreciate about her and about how she went from being in a troupe to becoming an individual star. I mean, she's very interesting and and super smart and talented. Yeah. It's just that all. All of her talent to me is stuff in that first third where she's a dope because she has to sort of make W.C. Fields-esque, like, brilliant moves to show she's a dope. And then when yeah. William Holden gets involved, it's like he's her teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and she has little moments of brilliance, but it's like he, his character, maybe even William Holden himself, is interfering too much in, in, <laughs> in, her, in her showing her, her comedic genius. And then the other thing I don't like is... Half the film is really a 1950 propaganda film about how great America is. It doesn't even yes. try to hide it. Yeah, and right, 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 right. It, it's really jacking off to uh, you know the Jefferson Memorial and the statement on the, uh, the the statement on the rotunda there for sure. And I don't even object on like on like uh, uh, political grounds or anything else. It's just boring to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're much we're we're over all that now, Joe. So oh yeah, that's, that's all it is. That's, yeah. that's, that's I have, true. That idealism. Yeah. Uh, is gone. I don't know. He's, I'm going to say this about this. Huh, it's interesting. I loved her. I'm going to say, you're right. When you get to the second, like the two-thirds second part of the movie, it's kind of like she's she's still like the strongest character on the screen, like throughout wow. that time period. Yeah. But it's just really uneven. Like she's doing all She's There are some tremendously funny moments in this movie that she brings but those are mostly in the first part of the movie. Yeah, when uh, and and when you cut um, William Holden, you know, uh, out of the picture for a second, I, she still has it. I mean, I don't want to take it away. There's something I forget what he says, but she's talking to the congressman, and he says, um, 
I don't know what, I don't even remember. Like, uh, oh, that's, well, a real commencement or something. And she and he goes, wouldn't you agree? And she looks at him, and then she sort of slowly tries to sneak over to the dictionary to, <laughs> to see if she can find the word commencement. Um, yeah. she, she's a fucking brilliant, you know, it's great. It just, to me, it wasn't the project for her. And, and I, I feel like I'm just being um, the fly in the ointment because everyone seems to think this is her crowning achievement. And I, I don't right. think it is. I think she's much. No, I think it's, than yeah, I think like I said, again, it turns to sort of uneven during on the back half of the movie as far as her performance goes. And yeah. at that point, there's not a lot holding the movie together. And also, here's the other part, except for the weird Patriots we were talking about. That's as much as anything. That's the glue at the second half of the movie. And, and also, we were talking about this um, when we did the Ingrid Bergman episode. We talked about Anastasia, 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 Anastasia. Hey. Train Anastasia. We're not Russian. We don't know how to say it at all. <laughs> um, Let's not even try to keep it. And that's that. Um, you can keep doing the Pygmalion story. I, I have no objection to it. But you got to. It, it puts a big burden on you to be, to be more interesting each time you do it. So, or, or lady for a day, or you know, whatever it is. Like, like a guy's well, going to come like in and change exactly somebody. Exactly, the girl can't help it without the music. Well, we compared that. You know, girl can't help it is on our great uh, become a Patreon subscriber. We we talked about girl can't help it. I think girl can't help it's a much stronger film than Born Yesterday. Oh man, much uh, stronger. <laughs> I think. I think it's more consistently funny, and I will say this: Jane Mansfield is not as funny or talented as Billie Holiday. So it's. It, it, yeah. To me, it's it's more about like how this film was put together because it has all the elements to be much much better than the girl can't help it. But the girl can't help it maybe because it, it just saw itself and it's said, really okay, un unapologetically what it is. It just is what it is, so it could relax and just be funny. <laughs> right, right, I guess. right. Because Edmund O'Brien, I'm sure Edmund O'Brien is in the girl can't help it is Broderick Crawford in, in this right the sort of yes, the gangster. Yes. I think he's funnier in his silk robe and his cigar and his his, his becoming a songwriter. The jailhouse rock. If he had Crocs back then, he'd have been wearing those. Yeah. Um, anyway, good old Brandrick Crawford. Do you have anything else to say about Born Yesterday? Born Yesterday? Well, it was uh, born a long time ago. Um, no, nah, not really. I think I enjoyed it a lot. I think I enjoyed it more than you did. Um because just Billie Holiday is just fun. when she's funny, she's funny as fuck. That's well, enough. I don't. That's enough for me. I disagree with you there. She had a very tragic life, Tom. Being a black blues and jazz singer, she died early of, of an overdose. But Judy <laughs> Holiday, on the other hand, you <laughs> fucking simp. No, you don't understand the hilarity of Billie Holiday, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we do this all uh, we do this the once time. an episode at least, right? Yeah, Twice yeah, a yeah, yeah. Old man moments always following. Oh, fucking coming. heart and soul was a body and soul, which we called heart and soul, was, <laughs> was, was my favorite, I think. But anyway, uh, is it a play is it a movie? We don't know. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Uh, speaking of Patreon episodes, by the way, uh, we're in the mid forties of those. Um, we're pumping them. Uh, we, we promise you twice a month. We're doing more than that. We're doing like three or four a month at this point. Uh, Patreon episodes are available to Patreon subscribers at the $5 parenthetical secret. We'll, we'll do it even if you give us less uh, per month uh, subscriber. Um, and also you can rate review us on iTunes and give us feedback um, at finleysonfilm at gmail.com. Tom, you have something? Uh, yeah, come check it out, tomsmithcomedy.com. And uh, like the man said, please drop us, a, drop us, a, drop us an email. Communicate. Okay, and make sure to drop us an email and communicate at finleysonfilm at gmail.com. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. Do you have a website, Tom? I just said it. 
All right. If you have any comments about that, drop us an email at finleysonfilm at gmail.com. I love you, Tommy. All right. Likewise, bud. Pow, Zoom! <laughs>